cliffcentral.com Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. Cliffcentral.com. Hello and welcome to The Bounce Show. First episode of June. That is correct. May is done. What a fantastic month it was. But into June we go, which is really cool because of all the international sport that's happening. You know, with the um, summer season now happening in the Northern Hemisphere, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to look forward to. We've got golfing majors. We've got cricket tournaments. We've got tennis, loads and loads of tennis. It's a really cool time of year. So today we are going to wrap up the month of May. It really was a cool month, as I said. But we've also got a special interview with Shane Bacon. Now, he's one of my favorite golfing people online. He works for Fox over in America, so he's really in the thick of things when it comes to all things golf. He's at the tournaments. He's interviewing the players. I mean, this guy probably has, like, the dream job in sport. Not just having the dream job, but he does really great things with it. And um, he's something that I've really enjoyed online for the last sort of 18 months. I listened to his podcast, and uh, he's obviously a prolific writer as well. It just has a really good take on sport. You know, he's a young guy who's done so much already in the game. And I thought he'd be a perfect guest to compliment all the kind of stuff we've been doing this year as far as giving you, you know, unique insights and, um, getting you a little close to the game and obviously giving you more stuff to chat about with your friends. So before we get into Shane, it's going to be about a 35 minute interview for you. I just want to recap on all the things that did happen in May. You know, these months go by so quickly as you get older, of course, especially when you, you know, working so hard or you've got kids or whatever it may be. There's many, many distractions and we kind of don't watch as much sport as we kind of did when we were younger. So there are some things that are going to be, you know, slip through the cracks, so to speak. So there's actually a really cool, um, well, trumpet to my own, blow, blow my own trumpet here. There's a really cool blog post on the today where I have put everything together from the month of May. So if you did miss anything, you can relive all the highlights and there's videos there. There's all the big logs. Uh, there's the best from Twitter and there's all kinds of other things you can just catch up on. But let's, before we get into Shane Bacon interview, sort of run through the sort of big highlights from May. And of course, it was the month that all the big football leagues uh, drew to a close. Um, there were a couple of surprises here and there, I guess, but otherwise it was mostly predictable. We all knew Chelsea was going to go on and win the Premier League. They ended up winning it by seven points. Spurs were really great. I mean, they lost the, they had the least amount of losses throughout the season. They scored the most goals. But uh, they managed to be seven points behind Spurs, uh, Chelsea in the end. On the relegation side, well, Sunderland, Middlesbrough and Hull City went down. And then for European places, obviously Spurs, Man City and Liverpool, they rounded up the top four. First time Arsenal's fallen out of that top four in, um, well, since 1996. So, yeah, 21 years. Arsene Wenger, though, well, he still managed to get a new contract out of all of that. So job security is still a thing in sport. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Uh, in Spain, Real Madrid edged Barcelona, so they won the La Liga. Real Madrid, of course, involved in the Champions League final. They just uh, they're going from strength to strength. They really are a great side. And I think Zidane is bringing so much out of them. And you think he's only been in the job for what a couple of seasons, if 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 that. Really, really amazing character. In Italy, Juventus won the uh, Serie A. Also prolific this season and rightly into the Champions League final against Real Madrid they go. So they beat off Roma and Napoli. To think that Roma and Napoli, they finished second and third. Their respective points haul was 87 and 86. How incredible is that? Huh? You can get that done and you still don't win the league. Uh, they're both, well, 
Roma won 28 out of 38 matches and they still didn't win the league. It shows how prolific Juventus are in Italy. Uh, in Germany, well, Bayern Munich won that. It's so predictable. Huh? I mean, do they even have odds on this team winning the, uh, the Bundesliga? It's just so predictable, but good on them. Consistency is a big thing. And then in France, I suppose the big sort of surprise was that PSG, who everyone thought was going to be a next superpower in football, and, you know, they had all that big investments. They started making some strides in the Champions League. They were winning the French Ligue 1. Oh, I don't know. I can't speak French. The one, the number one. Um, but Monaco did it this year. And they did it quite handsomely, I must say. They won by eight points. So pretty clear winners there. They only lost three matches throughout the whole season. They won 30, drew five. So PSG, well, they did leak a couple of the big players that they did have, and they haven't really replaced them. So Monaco, who did really well, they got to the semis of the Champions League. They were the French champions. And then in South Africa, Vitz won it. So they were neck and neck with sundowns towards the end of the season there. And uh, they managed to get it done. In rugby... Well, it was a really, really cool month of rugby as far as the Sevens team. Those guys wrapped it up. They won the World Championship, uh, the World Series, and what a deserving bunch of champions they are. They got it done in Paris, the Paris Sevens, and even with one tournament to go, they had everything in the bag, so good for them. In Super Rugby, well, things looking a bit weird and lopsided in, in the pot, in the, in the, 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 the groups, the logs. Crusaders 13 from 13, they're on 59 points. Second place, the Brumbies, they've won 5 from 12, so they're on 28 points. And then third place, the Hurricanes on 48. Fourth are the Highlanders on 45, and the Chiefs make up the last qualifying spot there in the Australasian leg. They're on 45 points as well. In the African sort of breakdown, the Lions are challenging the the Crusaders for the top spot there. Overall, they've won 12 from 13, they're on 56 points. The Stormers, well, they've got 30 points on second, and then the Sharks on third with 42 points. But the Stormers, it's all like a foregone conclusion. Their group is so poor that they don't really need to win any more matches to make the playoffs. Into, um, well, it was a great golfing month as well. Siwoo Kim, he won the... Um, the Players' Championship, and Alex Noren won the BMW PGA Championship. Those are the two biggest events that happened over the, the last month. But there was also some sort of off-course controversy none of us want to see. It's Tiger Woods, again, but more of a downward spiral, uh, found arrested on a G- DUI charge. He wasn't drinking, but he was under the medication that was having some negative side effects. So he was found asleep behind the wheel of his car. Um, that's just not a good thing. Gary Player was bitching about the uh, senior majors. Roy McIlroy got injured again. Um, yeah, it's just there's a lot going on in golf right now. In crickets, the Proteas, they went to England. They got hammered 2-0 uh, in, the, in the ODI sort of series there. But then they managed to bounce back with a really good win in their third ODI at Lords. In other cricket news, Misbah al-Haq and Yunus Khan, they retired from uh, all test cricket, or all cricket really, for Pakistan. Two absolute legends of the game. And uh, unlike Shahid Afridi, I think they will be true to their word and they will retire. In athletics, well, there was no better story than Akani Simbini. What an absolute champion this guy is. He won the men's 100 meters in Doha, which is probably his biggest race so far. And uh, this is South Africa's major, major sporting talent right now in the men's arena. To go, obviously, with Costa Semenya, who's cleaning up in the ladies. So that's going to be very interesting to see how you can carry this form through all the way to August, where he takes on the rest in the world champs. There were a whole bunch of other great tennis stories. Of course, there's controversy around Sharapova. Uh, Ferrari's been dominating the F1. Nike tried to set a new world record, or sorry, try to break the two-hour marathon mark. So all of this and so, so much more on the balance of Sirdozera right now, the whole month of May. I don't want to get too much more into it. Obviously, Super Rugby takes a break now as we get into the uh, June internationals. 
uh, Australia are playing Fiji and Scotland and someone else, I think. The New, uh, New Zealand are obviously taking on the British and Irish Lions. That's huge. And in the Springboks, they'll take on France. Of course, they only won 33% of their matches last year to the Springboks, so redemption time is very much now. But we'll get into more of that next week. Up next, my interview with Shane Bacon. Cliffcentral.com. In the next line of really great great golf interviews that I've got lined up for you, I've got Shane Bacon. Now, Shane's a guy who I've been following on Twitter probably before any of the other guys who I have featured on the show so far. Shane, thanks so much for joining me. It's so great to finally get um, get online with you. Yeah, for sure, Ben. I appreciate you having me. Now, I've been following, like, like I said, um, a bunch of guys the last for 18 months. Now, you come across as kind of like being that alpha dog of the new sort of breed of golf broadcasters. How, how did you get to where you are? Because if I was to go through your sort of CV or intro, it would be quite lengthy. Like golf really has been your life <laughs> up until this point. Yeah, um, it, it's funny. I mean, it, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of right. I mean, it's, it's been an interesting journey for sure. I mean, I, I've, I've hit a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of different jobs in the game. That's for sure. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've done everything from, you know, scrub clubs at a, at a course in Scottsdale to, to caddy, um, you know, both, uh, you know, in Scotland and for some LPGA friends of mine. And, um, you know, I, I wrote, I mean, that's really how I kind of started to get into the media, you know, landscape really was, um, you know, back when kind of nobody really understood the internet, and I surely didn't either. Um, I started a, basically just started a blog, and it was a personal blog. I mean, I had a, a job that had nothing to do with golf at the time, and I did, I spent probably more time writing, you know, irreverent, stupid golf blogs than I did doing my actual gig. And uh, right. um, the, the week I was going to quit my job, I was living in Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado at the time. Um, I got a a full-time offer to uh, write not just golf, but some other sports for kind of a startup thing that AOL was doing. So, uh, you know, I mean, as we know with life, I mean, it's all about chances and opportunities and just get landing in the right spot. So, I mean, that's really how I got my first big-time uh, writing gig. I mean, I was focused on golf there, but, I mean, I wrote, you know, for American football. I wrote uh, baseball. I wrote basketball. I wrote college sports. I mean, I did, you know, basically anything and everything that they asked me to. Uh, along with editing some pieces. So that was really kind of my first step into that. And then, you know, just, just sticking with it. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it, the internet is, is, is a wild west, you know, of sorts. I mean, it's, it's not the easiest place to, to stay at one place for a while, as many people know. And, um, I just, uh, I got lucky to land at a couple of good spots and not really, uh, you know, give up. I, I mean, I, I had a couple of gigs in between full-time gigs where I was just part-time. I was just writing whenever I could. So, so, you know, that was where I got into the writing side of things. And then the broadcasting thing just, uh, it all kind of came at the same time. I mean, it was something I, I was interested in doing and something I've wanted to do since I was probably 10 years old. I mean, I used to record on VHS tapes, you know, old college football games. And I would like uh, listen to, you know, Keith Jackson and people like that and, and get a feel for how they did it. But broadcasting was something I always wanted to do. It just took a while for me to get into it because, you know, my, my, my university studies was mostly writing. So mm-hmm. it took a little bit of time to get comfortable doing the broadcasting thing. But it's been great. I mean, I you know, calling – Calling live golf, in my opinion, is as fun as, as really anything out there. Yeah, I bet. And I just feel like now golf's in such an exciting place as well. Like there could not be a better time, I think, to get into golf and media. Would, would, would you say this is probably the most exciting time? I mean, obviously people always go back to like the Tiger era being so great. But where you are right now and the players coming through, like for me, I, I've never been more excited about golf. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I do a, I do a weekly newsletter, and I, I always put the, the odds, you know, the, the gambling odds of, of who the favorite is. And I do normally, you know, I normally do about 10 guys or so, and I was doing the one for the memorial. And, 
I mean, it's it's big name after big name after yeah, big sure. name. And I mean, it's international. You know, that's what's so cool is, you know, you've got, you know, you've got Jordan Spieth, sure, who's kind of the, the, the American, you know, the idea of America really all encapsulated in one guy. But, you know, you've got John Rahm, who um, has become this this alpha player all of a sudden out of Spain. And you've got Matsuyama, who earlier in the season looked unbeatable. And, you know, it's really just you throw a dart at a map of the world and there's normally you're going to find a good golfer from that area. And that's something we haven't really ever seen before. So, you know, outside of, of really what what we in the United States look at, I think golf um, has been has gotten to a place that's not just exciting, young, youthful, fun, but it's global. And I mean, I think it took a little bit longer almost for, for our for the, for the men's side of golf to catch up. To the women's side in that regard, but you know we're getting there. I mean, Siwoo Kim looks like the type of player that could win a major. You know, I mean, he's got all the game in the world like that. So it's been a, it's been cool. That's for sure. I mean, we do. You know, I do PGA Tour Live. I'm doing it this week at the Memorial, and you know, we get, you know, we get the, basically the best pairings that we get to watch for 18 holes. And there's never a bad week. I mean, even if you do a, a say a lesser PGA Tour event, I mean, we're still getting big names because there's so many of them to pick from. It's, it is a surveying to think that. And also, like I had a thought the other day, I don't know if you, you agree with this, but the way golf is pitched nowadays, obviously there's great money, there's great longevity, there's great profile for these people, and it just seems like you can make a great career. Do you think golf's attracting like a lot more athletes nowadays that maybe would have got into, say, football or baseball or sort of soccer or any other bigger sports? Do you reckon that's a fair comment? I mean, I think, I think yes. I think to a certain extent it is. I, I think that... You know, when you look at golf and you see, for instance, what, what Bernard Longer has done, you know, on PGA Tour Champions, and he's 59 years old and he's still winning a gob of money and he's competing. And you look at, you know, a LeBron James who's, you know, I would say playing the best basketball of his life and he's 32 years old. You know, he's, we expect LeBron James at some point in the next couple of years to start to break down a little bit because sure. that's normally what happens. I mean, when you're a professional basketball player playing at that level, your body at some point has to give out. And golf is the only sport. It is the only sport that allows you to do this in your 40s and 50s. I mean, of course, there's those outliers. I mean, there's the Vince, you know, Vince Carter. Or there's pitchers, you know, in baseball that have done it. And there's Tom Brady, who I think he's 39 or 40 years old, who, for whatever reason, is still playing football at such a high level. But you it's know, for the most part, I think it's because he's vegan or something, which is else making him <laughs> exactly, eat funny things. Yeah, his his chef doesn't let him eat anything <laughs> we eat. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's unbelievable when when you look at. Where golf's at now. On the flip side of that, will Jordan Spieth play competitive golf at 55? Probably not, because of the same reason. There's so much money out there that there's no real reason for him to do that. So it'll be interesting to see where the PGA Tour champions goes. You know, in 20 years, when these guys that that eclipse hundreds of millions of dollars don't necessarily need it unless they just want the competition. But you know, it, it is a sport where I think if you were a, an athletic 12 year old kid who you know could play sick and ball games like baseball or cricket or golf and and you started to kind of lean towards golf and you said, I mean, this has a, I have a really good chance of doing this for a long time. If you get to that level now on the flip side of that, and I had a, I had a great talk with Stuart Hagestead kind of about this is, you know, it's also probably the hardest sport in the world to get elite at. I mean, when you look at how few guys are at that elite, elite level and maintain that, I mean, look so, what happened to Ian Poulter. You know, Ian Poulter was, was on top of the golfing world. And, you know, the story this year was about keeping his card. I mean, it's really, really hard to say there. But if you do get there, I mean, it, I would say as a kid, that has to be extremely enticing to look at that if you are, as a young man, able to kind of look at that, uh, you know, from 10,000 feet up in the air. 
It does make for some really great stories. I I heard a great line on a podcast recently. Like I listen to a fair few podcasts because there's just so many good ones out there. But I heard a story that's somewhere in your position. I mean, do you follow the stories or do you follow more the players? Like, what's the, what's the biggest appeal for you? Um, I, I would say that I probably lean towards the story more, and, and I'm not always. That's not always true, which I actually feel bad about at times. I mean, I, I do think that. Uh, we we do in the media especially we get caught up a bit too much in the player. I mean I think sometimes when the leaderboard isn't as sexy as you hoped it would be, you know something yeah. like the players championship. I think sometimes we as as a media as a whole have this kind of you know and, and it's all oh, my story's not going to be this like amazing you know Jordan Speed or last year Jason Day or you know Keimer and Adam Scott battling it's these names. But I mean I think the story sometimes does get lost. So I really do try to follow that. I mean I thought. You know, last year, for example, at Oakmont, um, you know, the story that I feel like I spent the most time on during those interviews was Andrew Landry, who nobody knew Andrew Landry was. I mean, Andrew Landry's parents might not have really known, you know, how good he was in the sense of golf. But, you know, he was a story for four and a half days. And I loved following it. The progression of this no-name guy, mini-tour player, you know, fires the lowest round at a U.S. Open at Oakmont history and never falls apart really until late you know, into that Sunday, I, I thought that was that was a story that, that, that needed to be told. And I, and I was glad I was able to be a part of that, because, again, I mean, it's easy to talk speed. It's easy to talk Rory. But golf does give us a lot of great stories out there and stuff that we can't look past just because it's not going to get 100,000 clicks online. Yeah, I suppose it's also another cool thing about where we are now is that in the past, you'd have a certain amount of newspaper article space or there'd be a certain amount of TV time. But now with online, you can kind of broaden the net, so to speak, and we do get to have more of those stories. And that's just a really, really cool thing. Yeah, now, for sure. I mean, that's the internet allows us to never, never get lazy with our sport. You know, you yeah. can't just write a lazy take on a, on a guy that everybody else wrote about. I will say it was funny uh, at the Masters this year. Speed played that incredible third round. And every single reporter that was at the Masters all was following Speed's third round. And everybody went to the press conference and it was packed. And they asked the questions. And I think every single one, I mean, I did the same thing. We all wrote these, you know, Speed and Augusta, you know, it's peas and carrots. You know, this guy just understands this golf course, unlike anything we've really seen, you know, since Jack. And then, you know, he didn't play great on Sunday. And all those stories kind of looked a little lazy. But we, that was the one time where I think everybody at the same time went, this is the story we have to write. This. Well, especially with the guy's history there. I mean, you, you get a feeling like he's going to kick on. Now, out of all the tournaments you go to, obviously the, the majors are a big deal. But like, what's what's like some of the tournaments that really get you excited? I mean, obviously you get excited about golf anyway. But which are the ones you really, really look forward to going to and covering? Well, I mean, you know, it's I mean, it's lazy to say that early in the season the tournaments are a little bit more fun. I think just because I think we're so excited to, to get golf back. I mean, I know that. You know, the whole joke is that there's not really an off season, but after, you know, the, the Ryder Cup and President's Cup, you know, each year, you know, golf is for the most part forgotten in a bit. I mean, I think, you know, even though the PGA Tour has done a great job of making those wraparound season events relevant to a point, I think with football on and all the other sports and, you know, basketball getting going. So to me, I mean, early season events are great. I mean, I, you know, I'm partial. I mean, I live in Phoenix. I mean, the waste management, you know, the waste management's one of those events that starting around January 1st, you know, you start to get the texts and the emails, people asking for tickets, looking yeah. for tickets. You get three or four buddies that are, you know, live in, you know, Ohio or they live in Florida. They're coming for the first time. And, um, you know, I start to write out, you know, little pieces online about where to go. So, you know, for me, the waste management is an event that, that I really like. And then, 
you know, normally, I think once you get to Florida, that to me is when the tour really feels like it gets going because you actually can see the Azaleas start to bloom. I mean, you know that the Masters are are upon us, and so you know those events are always exciting as well. But you know, like the Texas swing for whatever reason, Colonial last week, Colonial always provides drama. I mean, it really does. You know, you think last year was Spieth doing what he did. You know, this year was a lot of fun watching Kisner try to hold on to that with those big names chasing him down. So Colonial. Those, those historic golf courses, and I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday, but for, for some reason, I feel like winning on those golf courses to a lot of these younger guys that actually care about golf history, you know, it, it almost feels a little bit bigger than just a regular tour event. I mean, I think when you think about Riviera, you think about Colonial places like that, these guys really get excited to win. So those are the, those are the events that I, that I get really, really excited about just because I know they, they come with more than just a, you know, a four-day golf tournament. Yeah, exactly. But like from my perspective, okay, obviously in South Africa here, we watch rugby and cricket. Those are like really big. But I never feel like golf ever sort of plateaus because we're obviously exposed a lot more to the European tour. But um, as far as the European tour is trying to be like this year, okay, maybe the last couple of years, they're trying to innovate a whole bunch. And you've seen these like funny match play events and these six hole things. Do you think more of that's going to come onto the US PGA tour or do you believe that over stateside you guys have enough going? You don't really need to try broaden too much. No, I, I think they, they will, and I hope they do. I thought that Zurich was a, a big success. You know, I, I thought the two main event, everybody seemed to really enjoy it, and they seemed to enjoy being a part of it. I thought the drama at the end helped a lot. I thought, I think what Keith Pelly's doing is great on the European tour. I mean, I had him on my podcast a couple of months ago, and, and it was fun chatting with him because, you know, he calls it the war on Thursdays and Fridays because he says the first two rounds, for the most part, aren't that interesting. How do you spice those up? And it was a really interesting thing to hear, you know, hear Keith say because he's trying to make this a four-day product, and he understands that those first two days are the hardest. So I hope they do. I think that you could implement all of these different style things. I think something I really hope we'll see is a uh, PGA LPGA team event at some point. I mean, I'd love to see you know a two-person team with you know Lexi playing with Ricky Fowler and you know Lydia Ko playing alongside you know, Kevin Kisner or Patrick Reed or something like that. I, I feel like that would be really, really interesting to see. So that's something I hope happens. Anything, again, anything that breaks up the norm in golf, I think is really, really important. So, you know, when I was, we covered the Franklin Templeton with Fox and that crowd that followed Bryson DeChambeau and Lexi Thompson last year, it was three times as big as any other crowd out there. And there were some big time players, major winners in that field, yet they were following that group. So I think anytime you break up the norm, and can bring in a little bit of a different format. I mean, even a Stableford, you know, even a Stableford system, if nothing else, it makes you double look when you look at a leaderboard. You know, you go, wait, what's what's going on? What was this person have 54 points and they're not, you know, 10 under? I just feel like anything like that at least piques our interest a bit. Yeah, it's a good point, especially with Stableford being such a common thing that amateurs play. So everyone can relate to that quite easily. Yeah, I mean, it, like, you know, what do we play? We play match play. I mean, amateurs go play match play against their yeah. buddies. I mean, that's the format we play for the most part. And, you know, you might switch it up, like you said. You might play Stableford. You might play, you know, I mean, you might, I mean, you could play, you could play a shamble. I mean, you know, I mean, get these guys out there and really change it up. But, I mean, again, you like seeing this. I mean, I think that there's certain events where you want to see the guys have to battle. I mean, the U.S. Open is a great example of that. But I think the Players' Championship is, is becoming that a bit, too. You know it's going to be a tough week. You know guys are going to make bogeys. But I think... You know, when, when you when you introduce something fun where guys are making putts and they're making birdies and it's exciting, I feel like people will tune in to watch that. 
for sure. I, I know I would. As long as it's consistent for everybody, you, you can. You can play anything. So just talking about like evolving technology, I love the players this year because on Twitter you could watch those 360-degree shots of the 17th. So I'd be watching, and then on my phone I'd be like swiping around and watching the guys. It was so cool. Like, Do you see a lot more of that coming into the sort of mainstream coverage going forward on some of the even smaller events? I think so. I mean, you know, I think what happens is the PGA Tour – uh, you know, it focuses most of that stuff on the players since it's their signature event, sees what happens, sees what people like, sees what sticks, and then they can, they can implement it. I think, you know, not just because I'm a part of the PGA Tour live property, but I mean, I love the fact that they're broadcasting golf early in the mornings on Thursdays and Fridays, because if there's a 12 year old kid out there that's a big Jordan Speed fan, if you think about it, how many rounds of golf is he, it was he missing, you know, five, six, seven years ago yeah, when point. there was no coverage of that. So it's, it's cool that, that people can see that. I think it's important for fans because, you know, that is what golf is. Golf is, is fans, you know, you know, linking themselves to certain players, and that's the ones they want to root for. I mean, we saw it. You know, you were a Tiger person or a Phil person, you know, back in the early 2000s. You know, you you rooted for Duvall or you rooted for Tiger. And now I think it's like, you know, you love Spieth, you love Rory, you love Day, maybe you love Dustin. And if you can't see them play their entire round on Thursday or Friday, I mean, that's a bummer. So I think technology is something that the tour has embraced. I think it's something that we at Fox, you know, have embraced since the start. I mean, since Chambers Bay, you know, trying to use shot tracer as much as possible, trying to use, you know, drone footage as much as possible. And I think that's something you're going to see more and more of uh, in really every capacity, I'd say. I mean, you know, two or three years from now, that's going to be something I almost feel like is just going to be normal. Yeah, that was the one thing that really got to about the about the Masters. There was no pro tracer. I was just like, it, got, I know, it, got, it actually always got monotonous because you become so expectant to see it. Like they keep talking about Sergio's cut, but you're not seeing the cuts. It's like it gets a bit frustrating. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's it's funny too. I mean, I think this the Sky coverage at times has a little bit more pro tracer to Augusta than than maybe the CBS coverage does. But yeah. you know, you never know who makes that call. But again, like you said, I mean, it's not that it's not that we need it. To enjoy the game, it's just that we know it's there. You know, it, we know that it's a, it's an it's an available thing. You know, the John Rahm shot on 17 at Colonial. I, I wrote on Twitter. I mean, that would be my nominee for like shot. I wish I could see on Pro Tracer. You know, I didn't see it again because you know, it was like a 60 yard slice cut push around the tree. I mean, it would have been a beautiful Pro Tracer. Bubba's tee shot. You know, years ago when he won his second Masters on 13. You know, when he took it over and Spieth said he thought he hit it 40 yards out of bounds. You know, that's a shot. I think we would have loved to see on Pro Tracer. So, again, I think we're all trying to understand it still, especially, you know, broadcasting. It's not the easiest thing to put out there, but I think, you know, four or five years from now, it's going to be on every single golf shot. And, again, that's something, why wouldn't we have it? You know, I mean, if you think back to when, when you know, American football started to do that first down line and it was on some broadcast and it wasn't on others, now if they didn't have it, I feel like people would be so confused. So, you know, technology just comes about like that, and sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, the NHL had that glowing puck that just – you know, fans hate it, so they had to do away with that. But it was an idea, at least, in trying to bring the bring the technology there. Yeah, exactly. Just getting back to your your podcast, Shane. Something I really enjoy about it is that you get the impression, like when you talk about golf courses, that you're like you're really there and you really loved it. Your most recent podcast about your trip to Aaron Hills. I mean, that just like I was excited about the U.S. Open to start with, but now I'm like extra extra excited. This course sounds like it's an absolute monster in length, but pretty fair otherwise now i know this is something that you've spoken about a whole bunch and you will be speaking about it a lot in the next coming coming weeks but are we are we to expect like a slightly different u.s open on a course that is kind of new to everybody and maybe a little bit fairer than other ones you know the fairways are are are, are gettable and i think that's something that u.s opens you know on a more historic place like shinnecock or, or wingfoot or oakmont 
you know, hitting the fairways is a premium. Aaron Hill's fairways aren't that skinny, so players are going to be able to hit it now. I mean, that's that's dependent on the wind, of course. Yeah. I think if it's not overly windy, I think double digits will probably win, which, you know, say what you want if you're, you know, again, going back to being a fan of guys getting beat up by certain events and, and expecting that or not. Um, I think if, if the wind's not extreme, I think 10, 11, 12 under would be a good number. I think if it's blowing, you'll see five, six, seven under win it. But I think it's going to be a U.S. Open that fans are really going to enjoy because of a couple of things. One, condition-wise, you know, they haven't had play on Aaron Hills besides, you know, letting us go out there and slap it around, uh, a couple, you know, last week and, and letting a couple other media groups come out, out there. But, I mean, the, 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 the golf course is unbelievable. I mean, they haven't really had play since September out there. I mean, you never get that, you know, with, with, the, with the major championship venue. They don't shut it down for eight or nine months like they did at, at Aaron Hills. So the greens, you know, I played with Brad Faxon. It I mean, if he had a 10-footer, it was a gimme. I mean, it really was. I mean, it was it was unbelievable how a guy that is in that control of his ability to, to roll the ball and get it where he wants online, you know, almost gets on those greens and feels like, you know, he's a, he's a you know, kid in a ball pit. I mean, he was so happy about being there, and uh, and he was rolling it so well. So, you know, good putters are going to love it. They're going to absolutely fall in love with it, and I think fans are going to like it. I think adding two more par fives, having four par fives is, is just – it doesn't seem like much. But guys are going to have putts for eagle. You know, I mean, that's something we want to see. You know, you want to see fireworks. And, you know, the close there, one thing I think Chambers Bay got overlooked on, because, you know, people for the most part seem to to, to not be in love with the golf course when, when we look back on it. I, I, I'm not in that camp, but a lot of people weren't. You know, one thing I think people forget about Chambers Bay was the close was exciting. You know, sure. 16 was a drivable par four. 17 was a tough par three, but the pin on Sunday was in a, in a gettable position. You saw Dustin Johnson you know, make birdie there. And then 18 was a par five. The guys could get two and two. That was exciting to watch. And this has a similar feel. You know, 14 is a par five. 15 is a drivable par four that I really do think there's a chance on Sunday we could see the tees up and give guys a chance to go for it. You know, you've got a tough par three, 16, a really beautiful par four, 17th, and then you get 18 to par five. And I think guys will be able to get there in two if there is a little bit of a help win, which I think is the prevailing win there. I, I think you could see a lot of fireworks late in that final round. And that's what we want, right? I mean, we want to see guys with chances to do something to win, not guys that, that, that have to like maintain to win. And I think that's what Aaron Hills is going to do. And that's why I think it's going to be pretty dramatic. Yeah, I guess like everything gets to a point. You know, the US Open for so long was that sort of battle of attrition. It was about people just holding their nerve. But when it gets to the point where no one can hold a green on Sunday, especially if the wind picks up, I remember, I think when, when Retief Kosen won at Shinnecock, I mean, it was like some of those holes were actually impossible. People were aiming for the bunkers <laughs> and stuff like that. So it, it must be like a whole, like a, a different sort of appeal, which is really exciting. But does it look like it's going to be a, a course that's really going to suit DJ, Rom, those kind of guys who can really bomb it or? Is there maybe something for like a bit more of an all-round player? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's necessarily one player that's, you know, we, I, I initially said I didn't think distance was going to be that big of a help there. Uh, you do hit a lot of drivers. I mean, let's be honest, you can hit driver on almost every par four, which is, I would say, a rarity a lot of the time. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of, of U.S. Opens and majors in general, I mean, there are position holes. But really, Aaron, you can boom driver on most of them. I mean, it really, there really are not too many par fours that require you to hit a long iron or fairway wood off the tee. But I, I, I just think with the fairways being wider than a normal U.S. Open, I think that's why I would give the nod to somebody like Dustin Aram. But like I said, you know, putting, I mean, somebody like Zach Johnson, if he, could, if he could figure out how to hit a fairway, 
I mean, Zach Johnson would just love playing there. I mean, it's just it's just going to be one of those places that guys that feel confidence on greens are just going to be licking their chops. So, you know, the U.S. Amateur was played there, and it was it was August, so it was a little bit more dry. It was a little bit firmer than it's going to be for this U.S. Open. But, you know, we were told, you know, over and over again that distance wasn't really a factor. You know, guys, you know, were hitting wedges into these par fours that even when we were playing, you know, we're hitting five and six irons because it was just a little bit – uh, you know, there's a little bit more rain in the air. It was a little bit softer. If it's if it's firm, I don't think there's going to be many players that are going to be sitting there on Sunday going, man, I couldn't get to some of these holes. You know, I don't think that's going to be an issue. But listen, I mean, you and I both know there's no golf course that Dustin and Rom can't play right now. It just depends on you know, if, they, if they make a couple more birdies. I mean, those are the two guys. Like, how are they not the favorites? You know, I mean, every time they play, it's just unbelievable what they're doing this season. It really is, and it's so cool to see Ron because he is like you like you said earlier. He is just something so different. I mean, people say, well, you know, he's a Spaniard, so you know, you look at him in a certain way. But he's not like any other European player. Like he's not like Sergio at all, and he's got this real badass look to him. Like he can stare you yeah. down from like a mile away, and you'd you'd know he's there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I always said, you know, it'd be a great question if I could ever, you know, do like a sit down with Tiger. A question I'd always wanted to ask him is, which player currently? do you see yourself the most in? Because, mm, you know, it's not Rory. I mean, it's not Rory McIlroy. It's not, you know, it's not Jason Day, I don't think. I mean, it's not definitely not Dustin. You know, it's 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 maybe some speed. You know, speed's got a little bit of that in him, you know, where, he's, where, he, where he really believes in himself. And I think Tiger, you know, that was his best quality was, was the belief in himself. Sure. I think the answer might be Rom. I think Rom might be, like, the closest thing in the sense of, like, personality on the golf course, you know, overpowering golf holes, hitting shots that, that, that a lot of players couldn't even, you know, make up in their head. You know, Rom's kind of got the – and he gets fired up. You know, exactly. he gets super up, super down. And that's that's what we saw, especially early in Tiger's career. I mean, I'd be interested to see if Rom was somebody that he even thought about if that question ever arose. Well, especially when you saw what he did at Torrey Pines. Of course, the Tiger knows so well. When he won there, you got a feeling like this guy was – he was the hype and he was then something else. Yeah, and, and, and he's and he's really what he's had one bad round in a big moment this year. I mean, yeah. besides that, he's kind of just been there. I mean, he's been there every single week. He's been so close. I was I really would have liked to see him make that putt on eighteen at Colonial. I just thought he he got himself in such a good position to do it. I mean, you know, he hit a putt that that, that broke more than the putt that we just saw his playing competitor hit that, that didn't break at all. So I mean, not really his fault, I don't think. But I'd love to see him cash that one and get in a playoff with Kisner and see if he could win a second one. But I mean, he's going to win again if he keeps finishing top five, for goodness sakes, is what we keep seeing. Yeah, I just think he has to kick on because like, I'm a massive fan of the Ryder Cup. I'm a bit of a neutral, but I'm kind of swaying towards the Europeans, basically, because of what we're exposed <laughs> to, I guess. But for Rom to become a big deal, like it's necessary because Europe's lost Poulter. They've lost Westwood. Um, of course, they got Rory. Fitzpatrick's coming through, but he looks about 12. Like They need like someone who can really take on a Patrick Reed or at least just have some presence. You know, That's why I'm so excited about Ron, basically. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, it is in a way, a bit of a bummer this in the Ryder Cup year because I feel like we've got, like, I mean, Sergio's trending. Yeah. You know, Rom looks great. These American players, you know, Kisner would be a great Ryder Cupper. I, I think Kisner's going to be one of those guys that, like, you don't want to play. You know, he just has that... He just kind of has that badassery to him, you know, where you just look at him and you're like, you know, this guy, this guy's not scared to make a five footer, doesn't care who he's playing against, you know. So uh, it'll be fun to see him play on a President's Cup. But I am a little bit bummed we're not getting a Ryder Cup this year because I think it could be super epic. True. We're going to get a President's Cup, which will be super okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Got to have an international win. That's the thing. We, I mean, I, you know, I, I, we, you, you ask about story or player. I am 100% rooting for the internationals as an American. I'm like, we have to see the internationals win one of these things or this thing's going to become irrelevant. And the one thing the internationals won, they absolutely thrashed America. It was in Melbourne, I think it was. Like that, that, yeah. was, that was back in the day when Ernie couldn't miss anything. <laughs> that was so long ago, even I was young. Uh, Shane, let's finish up with a couple of like really quick fire questions here. I can't believe the time's flown here. It's almost half an hour. Um, Reed in majors or McElroy's injuries, what's most frustrating to you? McElroy's injuries. I'm so sick of these guys getting injured. Me too. It, it is and, – and, and it's – again, I don't know what it is. And I was thinking about it the other day. Like this year in particular, think about all the guys that have missed time. I mean it's these top players. Day, Rory, oh. Dustin. We just keep seeing these guys sidelined by injury. And it's just, it's just a bummer. I mean we see it in other sports. But, you know, those are guys that are, you know, landed on somebody's ankle. And you can watch it. That, that's what I think hurts us is besides Tiger under the Eisenhower at Augusta, you know, you don't really see them become injured. You know, yeah. you see them maybe grab their back or they're something sore or they're, you know, they're struggling a bit when they're hitting rainfalls. But we don't ever see them get injured. You know, so I feel like it's just, you know, you just look up and you get a news alert and Rory's out for four weeks. So. It's the Rory injury. I, I want to see Rory healthy. I mean, I, I want to see Rory play every event. I mean, he, he is, to my, in my opinion, the most polarizing guy in professional golf. He's the guy I think that moves the needle the most when he's playing well. So, you know, for us, we want to see Rory in as many events as possible. And, and I really, for goodness sakes, hope he's healthy for Aaron Hills. Yeah, I totally agree. What's your fantasy four ball? So the three guys that you'd play with from the tour and which course would you play this on? So they got to be current tour players. Yeah. Can I just say me and Phil and nobody else? Um, <laughs> I, I will take Mickelson for sure. Yep. Uh, I think everyone would say man. Phil. Oh, you got to take Phil. I mean, you can't <laughs> not take him. It would be unbelievable. He'd be a hoot. Uh, I'd probably take Rory um, just because I, I I probably would enjoy his company. Plus, uh, I'm sure I could get a game with, with Phil if Rory was my partner. And then um, – and my fourth one, who would be interesting that's a good fourth? Uh, I feel like the young guys, I wouldn't pick many of them. You know, no offense to them. I just feel like there's got to be a – you know, I mean, I think I think like Sergio or Ernie would be somewhat interesting. You know, I think playing with Ernie, I mean, Ernie, I would I would assume has as many stories as anybody in golf. Definitely. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe I'd throw Ernie in there. I, I, I'll tell you this. I would want to hang out after the round with Ernie, probably near the top of anyone. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Ernie's gone through a lot on and off the golf course. That's, that's very interesting. And he's not too intense. Like I, I chatted to him at the SA Open in January, and he is just still the most approachable guy. Like A lot of South Africans who go to America get these horribly strange hybrid accents. Ernie sounds like he's <laughs> from here and always has been from here. And like I feel like that's just the guy he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you know... Again, I mean, you talk about a guy born in the, born in the wrong era. I mean, <laughs> Ernie had been born eight years earlier, ten years earlier, and he'd have been the pre-Tiger era. He'd probably have ten majors. Oh, so true. And there's something that Gary Player reminds him of as like a patronizing. You you could have also been great like me. <laughs> <laughs> I can, Maybe Gary – can I throw Gary Player in there? I would love to see Gary out there just fist pumping after every shot he hits. It would be unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, we, here's my favorite interview. It's not even close. So my wife is not a big golf fan. She, you know, she knows golf just because she's around me, you know, osmosis wise. But yeah. you know, she's not like a 
she doesn't care. I mean, she probably doesn't know much about Kevin Gisner, for instance. And when I have Gary Player on the podcast, it's like it's like immediate listening. She's like, I'm listening to this on the way to work. It's like the most entertaining part of my week. I still can't believe you managed to get an interview with him with your last name being what it is. I mean, he must have. Yeah, he, know, he must have really second guessed that. Well, well, he well, the last interview I did, I think it was after it was it was either it was, I guess it was pre Masters. Um, yeah, and I, I listened and to and that. I call, yeah. He called me, and it was so you know, I mean, as you know, with recording, I, I had to call him because you know I'd get it all, all my stuff set up. So I had to call him back, but he called me. And he goes, "Is this Shane Bacon?" And I was like, "Hey, Mr. Player," and he goes, "Bacon." I'd never eat bacon. And then he laughed for like <laughs> four straight minutes. And I was like, man, you couldn't have waited until we started. Like I wanted to hit record on that. It's such a bummer. It never gets old. I've been to some events with him here, like charity events, and he is just a one-man show, but like like on another level. I mean, I reckon he could have a Broadway show for about three years, and he would just go endlessly. He'd be doing push-ups, and he'd be like telling his story. He is such a force of nature. Uh, sorry, just well, here's sec- the show. Here's, here's the Gary Player show. It's called Gary Player Tells the Audience. And then all that happens <laughs> is somebody in the audience just shouts out a topic, and that's the show. Gary just goes on the topic for like 45 minutes. He, he could do it. Be like, chairs. And he'd be like, chairs are for lazy. And he'd be like... 45 minutes of him just yelling about cheers. And I mean, I, I don't know how many, t- I would spend so much of my salary on the Gary Player show. I mean, it would, I would go all the time. I reckon we can get a Kickstarter crowdfunding thing together. We'd have a million dollars in like two weeks. <laughs> Gary Player and he'd, he'd, he'd be so far. A dollar per mile, that's what he'd say, from flying. Uh, he's amazing. Okay, so that, that's your fantasy football. And what golf course would it take place on this round? Oh, man. I mean, I mean, I can't, can I say Augusta? I mean, is that lame? No, because you've, you're someone that knows these courses personally. So it's like me saying ah. Augusta because I think it's cool. No, I mean, I, I would, I mean, I would say Augusta just because I've never played Augusta and that would be awesome. Right. I, um, I would say Augusta, but I would say we, we kind of have a rule when we do any of these things where you can't say Augusta. So, uh, outside of Augusta, if we were talking tour golf course, man, you know what? I think it'd be a lot of fun to play. I'd really like to play Harbor Town. I've never played it. My sister lives in that area. I've, every time I go, I end up playing somewhere else where I don't bring my clubs. Right. Uh, I, so Harbortown would be a good one to play. I think. I feel like I miss a lot of fairways there, though. Not my, yeah, that might ruin my day. Look, the fact that Luke Donald dominates there shows that maybe it's not your average golf course. I mean, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. It's, well, you know, like the, the Wesley Bryan thing. I mean, I had him. I had him on my podcast to start the year, and I asked him if he could pick a course he thinks he'd win his first event on. What would he pick? And he picked Harbortown, and then he goes and wins. I mean, oh, wow. these guys. I mean, there is if that horses for courses thing is not a joke. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the guys do like structure the whole years around certain courses. Um, exactly. Th- th- so, third question: Over under on Gary Player's age when he hits his final Masters starter shot? W- what do you reckon is a good number? How old is he now? Uh, we'll just take whatever his average golf score is and add ten. I think that's what he normally says. I, I think he's about eighty-two. Is he eighty-two? I'll I'll say he's he's eighty-one. He turns eighty-two this year. Okay. I'll say. Over under on when he hits his last tee shot, I'll say 109. 109. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah think, I, I, think, I think it's about I think, par. I think we got him for another 20 years at least. <laughs> I think that the biggest thing there is who's going to be hitting it with him. You <laughs> say <laughs> it'd, it'd be him and Tiger and Phil. He'll be like, this guy's still doing it? And he'll be like, hey, guys. He'll hit it past him. And he'll still be trying to hit it past him, exactly. Well, um, fist pump, I love it. The fist pump leg kick thing is a very unique celebration. Gary's got, it. Gary's got all the moves. Who's your best? Who do you think is the best golf golfing podcast out there at the moment? What's the best golfing podcast out there? Yeah, I'm really put, um, I'm really putting you on the spot here, and you can't say the clubhouse. 
Um, I mean, I would say, you know, I, I enjoy, I, I would say, I mean, I really am bad at this because I really try not to listen to a ton of golf when I'm not having to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I love, uh, I think Shipnuck at, at the golf.com podcast does a great job. I mean, his, his is, his is very guest driven. I think he does a great job with it. I, I mean, I, I of course love, uh, love solely and no laying ups, yeah. um, deal there as well. I mean, you know, they, he, he's done a great job with that over the past couple of years and, uh, and it'll only get improve over the next, I'd say six, seven months, I believe. Uh, and, and, you know, Porter, Porter at CBS, I mean, he just fired this thing up, but it's entertaining. That's for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's got a, it's got a, a good chance to be, you know, one of the best ones out there for sure. I just think that, that Kyle's voice is, has continued to grow in golf and it's, it's hard to ignore it for sure. So, I mean, those are the three that I have on my phone. I actually pulled my little, uh, app out just to see and scroll through a couple. Um, and, uh, and those are the ones that, that I like have queued up for tomorrow when I'm flying to Florida, you know, so. Um, you know, those are the ones I listen to, but it's crazy the last year how many have popped up. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a podcast driven world now. I mean, it, the joke is, you know, I, I met a friend and, and, and he told me to listen to his podcast. I mean, that, that is where we're at. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are the three that I pay, pay a lot of attention to. And, and I feel like those are the ones that I probably listen to the most. Okay. Um, who's your best golf follow on Twitter? Who do, who do I like to follow the most? Yeah. Who, who would you say is the best golf follow currently on Twitter? Um, oh man, uh, I mean, probably Tron Carter, um, <laughs> is probably my favorite just cause he says a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of us wish we could say, but can't, or we get fired. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's not, he's, you know, he's not scared to, to, to swing. I mean, you know, listen, we all miss a lot of the time when we swing, but, um, he, uh, he has fun. I met him, I met him probably a month ago for the first time in person. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and we were talking and he goes, I gotta be honest with you. I thought your biceps would be a little bit bigger. And I was like, Thanks. So it's not just, it's not just an act. It's, it's, it's the thing he does. So, um, I mean, he's great. I, you know, it's golf Twitter is so underrated when you talk about sports pit Twitter. Uh, you know, Brennan Porath of all the people out there, I think I laugh out loud at him the most. So he'd probably be one a he's, he's, He's damn funny, man. He says some funny stuff. Cool. And then final question. Who is going to win a major next? Day, Fowler, Matsuyama, or Rom? Day, Fowler, Matsuyama, or Rom? So one of them have a major, and there's only one. Man, I, God, I think I'm going to go Rom. Yeah, I, I think that Rom has the best chance of winning a major this year of that group, so I think I'm going to go Rom. I think these golf courses set up pretty, pretty, pretty well for Rom. I think he could win at Quill Hollow. I think he could win it. I, I think he's going to be my pick at Aaron Hills. I haven't made that yet, and it'll be one of those official things I'll probably write a post on FoxSports.com about. Uh-huh. But I'm leaning towards Rom being my pick as of now. Yeah, it's very cool. It's difficult not to. It really isn't. As long as these guys stay away from staircases, they stay away from all exactly. other funny one, things. One level house in, in, in Hartford, Hartford uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> one level. Don't go two. Just one level house to be perfect. Definitely. Well, Shane, I'm more excited about the US Open now than ever before. Thanks so much for your chats, the, the chat today. Thanks so much for making time. Where can people find more of you as far as all the stuff online that you do around golf? You know, if you follow me on Twitter at Shane Bacon, or if you follow the podcast at the Clubhouse Pod, is is the best way to do it. Um, you know, we we pump out all of our stuff kind of through that. I have a newsletter 
that goes out on Mondays and Wednesdays kind of through the clubhouse that, that's kind of an easy way to get golf news and keep up to date with what's going on. So uh, if you go to the Clubhouse Pods Twitter account, there's a link up top to sign up for it. Sign up for it. Give it a chance. Give it a couple of weeks if you hate it. All you got to do is unsubscribe. And if you do that, I will block you from Twitter and never talk to you again. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. We're going to end it off there. Thanks a lot. Hey, anytime. That's it for the Bounce Show this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much to my guest, Shane Bacon. Really great interview. You really must follow him on social media and check out his podcast every week. It is The Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. Really great guy. And of course, US Open really close now. We are in the month of June, so that will be one of the big events, as will be the French Open. There's lots to catch up on there. There's Rugby International, so catch me next week, where we'll already had the first Pro Tiers win in the Champions Trophy. They kick off, of course, this Saturday against Sri Lanka. Otherwise, please follow me on YouTube. The Bounce now has a channel there, and I'll be putting stuff up there every week. There is my first sort of timeout with a drone that's currently on there. And uh, pretty soon I'll be giving you a flashback of 2011 when I went to New Zealand for the Rugby World Cup. I've got a really cool video there for you. Thanks so much for joining me. Catch you back the Gareth Cliff Show every Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on cliffcentral.com. Otherwise, yeah, thebounce.ca.za or follow me on Twitter at followthebounce. Yeah, I've really got to record a promo for this because I'm getting so bad at plugging my own stuff. Anyway, thanks for listening. Chat next week. Cliffcentral.com.